0: Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, "And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." Well this morning, I want to start with an exercise. If you'll focus your attention on the screens this morning, I want to display three lines of what appear to be a random collection of simple words. Here's just a jumble of words, 16 to be exact. Let me read them to you. That, that, is, is, that, that, is, not, is, not, is, not, is, not. That, it, it is. What did that do for you? (laughs) Didn't that mean a lot to you? No, it meant absolutely nothing to me. That was just a nonsensical statement of words. But here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to make a few insertions into those 16 words. We're going to add some punctuation and some capitalization. First, we're going to put quotation marks in front of the first that and the last is. Second, we're going to capitalize three letters. We're going to change to uppercase, the first that, the first letter in the fifth is, and then the first letter in the last it. It. Capitalize the first that, the fifth is, and the last it. You follow me so far? Third, we're going to insert two commas and a dash. The commas go after the first is and the first not. Insert the dash after the second is. Finally, let's add an exclamation point, a period, and a question mark. Put the exclamation point after the second not, the period goes between the last is and the last quotation mark and then slip that question mark in after the first it. Now, having capitalized and punctuated that statement, here's what these 16 words read. That that is is. That that is not is not is not that it? It is. <laughs> And suddenly, our nonsensical sentence makes total sense. We just read the exact same 16 words in the same order, but with the insertions of capitalization and punctuation, this seemingly random collection of words finds meaning. And this morning, I want to teach you how to make sense of the difficulties and the hardships that you face. The title of my message this morning is how to punctuate your problems. For right now, your life appears to be a jumble of obstacles and hardships and perplexities. Maybe your life doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Randomness rules. You're stressed and distressed. If you have to confess, your life is just a mess. Reminds me of Charlie Brown and Lucy. You know Lucy, they were into a heavy philosophical conversation. When Lucy made an astute observation, she said, life is like a deck chair, Paul, Charlie Brown. Some place it so that they can see where they're going. Some place it so they can see where they've been. And some place it so they can see where they're at. Charlie Brown thought for a minute and then he said, well, I can't even get mine unfolded. Perhaps you're so confused you can't even unfold your deck chair. You know, at times, life resembles a tangled knot. It's a dilemma. But that's because we haven't punctuated our lives properly. This morning, we're going to take our string of struggles, our jumble of circumstances, and we're going to make a few insertions. We're going to place quotation marks at the beginning and end of our problems. We're going to add a few capitalizations, a couple of emphasis We're going to scatter in some commas and some dash, some connecting points, even add an exclamation point, a period, and a question mark. For when you make the proper punctuations, the proper insertions, instantly your life can take on a whole new meaning. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and 29 provide us God's rules for punctuating our problems. First, Let's take our string of problems this morning and let's add some quotation marks. Before and after your problems. For God says, not Sandy says, not some counselor says, not a friend trying to cheer you up says, not an advocate of positive thinking says, no, God the Holy Spirit himself says, All things work together for good to those who love God. God said that. I want you to think of the problems you're facing, and I want you to put them between God's quotation marks. See, the situations you're dealing with this morning have been God-ordained. God hasn't necessarily caused them, but he has at the very least allowed them. You know, the Bible teaches that God is over the affairs of men. And as a result, nothing can get to me, but that doesn't first pass through him. See, before a trial touches my life, it first has to get divine authorization. Then before God sends it on, he attaches to it a special purpose that he wants to work in my life. Our problems will take on a completely different meaning when we wrap them between divine quotation marks. On the town square in Enterprise, Alabama, there's a monument to an insect, to a boll weevil. Years ago, this rural farming town made its living off King Cotton. But after a swarm of boll weevils invaded their fields and threatened permanent ruin, the enterprising farmers of Enterprise were forced to switch gears. They planted peanuts that year. And to their surprise, when harvest time came, they had made more money from the peanuts than they ever did from the cotton. As a matter of fact, they never went back to planting cotton. The blight of the boll weevil became a bonanza to the town's economy. And to acknowledge their appreciation, guess what? The farmers of Enterprise, Alabama set up a monument in the town square. You can go to Enterprise today. And you'll see a marble and bronze statue of an ugly boll weevil. It's a reminder that God never falls asleep at the helm. That he is always in control. God wants to turn your disappointments into divine appointments. Nothing can happen to you or I that our almighty God can't transform into something good. I have a little sign I found years ago. I keep it in my office. I was forced to look at it almost every day. It says, God is greater than any problem that I have. Think of it. The very thing right now that is today causing stress in your life and anguish in your heart and fear for your future can one day be a cause of great rejoicing. Imagine the source of your misery will one day become a monument to God's faithfulness. Now let's get back to our string of struggles And just as we did to those 16 words, let's capitalize two words for emphasis. We need to put two words in the uppercase, all and things. We need to emphasize these two words, all things, for God works all things together for good, not just a few things, not just some things, not even just most things all things. Recently, there's an art gallery in Alexandria, Virginia that hosted a junk art exhibition. Did you know for $3,000, you can purchase a full-length woman's coat knitted out of plastic garbage bags? The show includes model airplanes made from beer cans. There's a lamp you can buy made from an old bowling ball and tin pin. Sculptures made from rusted picture frames and clock parts and saw blades and truck panels and sardine cans and tea bags and Band-Aid wrappers. The exhibit gives new meaning to the phrase trash art. But did you know God is into trash art? See, God wants to take what we think are the trash of our lives, our shattered dreams, and our scarred memories, and our broken hearts, and our battered hopes, and our bleeding hurts. And he wants to turn them into something oh so good. He wants to take what we consider to be the junk in our lives and transform it into valuable and beautiful pieces of art. You know, sometimes life is like trying to work a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle without the box top. That's tough. It's tough to arrange all the individual pieces when you lack the big picture. But hey, God looks at the box top. He knows the big picture. He knows the end from the beginning. God alone can work the puzzle and fit all the pieces into their proper place because he sees the big picture. There was once a pastor. He went to console a family that had just lost a child. What a tragic grieving kind of loss to lose a baby trust me from a pastor's perspective these moments are horribly awkward i mean everything you think to say runs the risk of coming across trite and insensitive well this particular pastor he was groping for words when all of a sudden a handwoven bookmark fell from his bible on one side of the bookmark it was just a tangled web of thread but on the other side were the embroidered words god is love You see, from our perspective, it's like looking on the backside of that bookmark. Things look confusing and intertwining and and all kinds of just jumbled. But from God's perspective, things look different. For God is weaving it all together. He is working all things together for good. Reinhold Messner is a famous mountain climber. He was the first of two men to climb to the top of Mount Everest without an oxygen tank. And then he decided he needed to climb the mountain by himself. He succeeded at that as well. Well, afterwards, Mesner was asked the stock question all mountain climbers get asked, why did you do it? And he replied, because at the top, all of the lines converge. And friends, your life is a portrait that God is in the process of painting. And no matter how random the lines might seem today, Eventually, every brush stroke will come together just as the artist intended. Not a few, not some, not even most, but all things work together for good. Now, back to our punctuation. We also need to sprinkle in a few commas and some dashes. We need to sprinkle them in throughout our problems. You remember your high school English, I hope. Commas and dashes are connectors. They connect thoughts. They connect ideas. And this is what God does with our problems. For rather than have them stand alone, they all link up and they work together. The Greek word here translated in verse 28 by the phrase work together is the word synergio from which we get our English word synergy or synergistic. And here's how the Webster's Dictionary defines the word synergy. It's the cooperative action of various elements to produce an effect greater than and different from the sum of each element acting separately. In other words, the parts do more interacting together than they do working separately. Take, for example, common table salt. See, salt is the cooperative action of two poisons, sodium and chloride. You consume either sodium or chloride alone, and either of those elements will become deadly. But them working together overcomes their harmful effects and makes them even beneficial. And this is what God does. He takes the various circumstances of our lives, and he creates a synergistic effect. He brings together problematic situations and distressing events in such a way that ultimately, overall, in the end, the outcome is good and productive. Let's say you're in the kitchen. You're in the middle of baking up a cake. When all of a sudden I walk in and I start sampling stuff. I'm nibbling at all the little ingredients there. I taste a pinch of bacon soda. Yeah. I drink a sip of vanilla extract. Eh. Yeah. I eat a handful of flour, a couple raw eggs. Boy, before long, I'm going to get sick to my stomach. See, by themselves, on their own, those ingredients won't taste very good. But if I allow you time to mix up those ingredients in the right proportions and then give them time to bake, eventually I'll be enjoying a delicious dessert, a pleasure to taste. And this is what God does. Many of life's experiences, if consumed by themselves, taste bitter and even nauseous. But God can take those ingredients. He can mix them together exactly. He can bake them thoroughly and transform them into a dish that's tasty and pleasing and good. Once a sailor was stranded on a deserted island, it was a daily struggle for him to survive. After several weeks, he managed to build a little makeshift hut from which he was protected from the brutal weather. It provided him a place where he could store the food that he was gathering on the island. One day, the castaway was out searching for food when he noticed a fire rising above the treetops. He raced back to find his little hut engulfed in flames. What a bummer. He sunk into a deep depression. All he had worked for was suddenly up in smoke. But the next morning, the sailor spot a ship coming toward the island. It was a rescue party. And when he asked the captain how he knew he was on the island, he said he had seen the signal fire. See, what the sailor had interpreted at the time as a catastrophe and had caused him deep depression had actually been his salvation. And God is able to to use apparent tragedies in our lives along with the right circumstances and the proper timing and he can transform them into something good. Perhaps that's what God is up to in your life this very second. See, God works all things together for good. Friends, you've got to believe that. All that's coming down in your life right now is happening for your good and for God's glory. And this is why we need to add an exclamation point. Let's put that punctuation in, for this is a promise that we all should get excited about. Of course, the word good is a relative term, isn't it? You see, what's good to me might not be good to you. For example, you might enjoy the taste of butterscotch candy. Your wacky, strange taste buds might think butterscotch candy tastes good, but I hate butterscotch. I'd rather suck on pig's feet than entertain the taste of butterscotch. See, God works all things together for good according to his definition of good, not necessarily my definition. See, if you read Romans 8 verse 28 and think good means an easy going, smooth sailing, trouble-free life, or if you think it means a fat bank account or rungs up the corporate ladder or never a conflict with friends or family, then you're misreading this verse. See, nothing in life grows without struggle and without pain. See, God's good is not a continual picnic in the park. It's the kind of good that molds in us godly character, And stretches our endurance and forces us to build onto our faith. This is why Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of the Bible. You know, people quote it as if it said, all things work together for my good. It doesn't. That's not what it says. See, God's goal is not just your good. No, it's for your good plus my good plus God's good. God is at work in our circumstances to achieve a mixture of your good and other people's gain and God's glory. God's intention in the trials of our lives is not some cheap, superficial, selfish version of good. God wants to produce a solid, eternal good not only for you, but for the people around you and even for his eternal glory. Once a professor at Georgia Tech said to one of the struggling students, he said, Son, you don't even have enough sense to stand on the corner and sell hot dogs. Well, after flunking out of tech, the boy decided to take up his professor's suggestion. He threw up a shack on North Avenue and started selling hot dogs the year was 1928 the student's name was Frank Gordy and the name of his hot dog stand was the varsity once on a visit to the varsity a fellow named Irvin Walker told me the story of Frank Gordy Irvin happened to work at the varsity for 44 years he said the Varsity had made Gordy a multi-millionaire, but it had also helped him provide for his 12 kids. He raised 12 kids on his salary from the Varsity. Frank Gordy's failure was also a blessing to Irvin Walker. In fact, there's another man. His name is Sandy Adams, and he says that Frank Gordy's restaurant has provided him countless hours of dining pleasure. <laughs> to me, nothing beats a chili steak and fries, man. And here's the point, Frank Gordy's misfortune became a chain reaction of good. It became a blessing for Frank Gordy, for Irvin Walker, for the 12 Walker kids, for Sandy Adams, and even for my wife and grandkids. Our first date, Kathy and I, our first date was to the varsity. We fell in love over onion rings and frosted orange. <laughs> On a more serious note, Myra Welch, the famous poet, was once interviewed. Mrs. Welch wrote the inspirational ballad, The Touch of the Master's Hand. You've heard that. It's beautiful. Over the years, her popular poem has warmed the hearts and encouraged the faith of millions of people. When the interview was over, the reporter went to leave when Mrs. Welch stopped him. She patted the wheelchair she was sitting in and she said, I also want to thank God for this. For if I had never been confined to a wheelchair, I'd never have cultivated my love for poetry. See, according to Mrs. Welch, even her wheelchair had turned out to be help for thousands. See, eventually, God works these things for good. But initially, God's work may seem harsh. The storms can appear heavy and dark and threatening, but God's clouds always contain a silver lining. God's good eventually rises out of the storm. Trust him. He sees to it that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I want you to notice Though that God's promise in these verses, I want you to notice that it's not an open-ended affair. It's not an open-ended offer. For there is a period now at the end of the promise. Notice this. This wonderful word of comfort and hope only applies to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. You know, you might say, oh, I love God, but I'm not sure about his will for my life. I'm not sure if I really want to follow God what's his purpose for me well in verse 29 Paul tells us that it's God's will for us to be conformed to the image of his son see God's purpose for you and me is to make us like Jesus we not only need to trust God we need to accept his purpose for our lives And if that's your goal, if that becomes your purpose, then all things do work together for your good. So often we think the will of God, we think of it as a particular activity or a specific place or maybe a relationship we're coveting. When in reality, the will of God is a process. See, God's will is not the destination as much as it is the journey itself and the person God plans to fashion in you along the way. God wants to make us into the image of his own son, Jesus. He wants our manners full of his grace, our heart full of love, our actions full of his glory. God wants our lives to circulate the warmth of Christ and emanate the strength of Christ and radiate the goodness of Christ. God wants his servants to take after their master. You know, as we've learned in Romans, if you trust in Jesus inwardly, God makes you a new creation, spiritually you are the righteousness of christ now what god wants is for all of that love and goodness and kindness he puts in your heart to ooze out into your attitudes and into your actions you know when michelangelo finished his statue of david the great artist was asked how he had created such a masterpiece he answered he said i saw a figure trapped in the stone and i chiseled away the rock to free it And this is how God looks at us. He sees the inner person made perfect and righteous through the blood of Jesus. But it's surrounded now by rough and shapeless rock. So God uses trials and circumstances to chip and chisel away the sinful and selfish habits to free the inner man from his fleshly prison. He shapes our attitudes and actions until they reveal the new creation we are in Christ. The other people may look at you and think of you as a lump of stone, just a real blockhead. Or or they might just take you for granted. But God sees you as you really are in Christ. And he is determined to sculpt and shape and mold you until the life people see reflects the person that you truly are. In verse 29 here, the word translated conform is the Greek word morphos. From it, we get our English word metamorphosis. See, a metamorphosis is defined as a striking or apparent change, an alteration of type. When a wormy-like caterpillar turns into a colorful, flittering butterfly, we call it a metamorphosis. Or when a rock turns into a crystal, it's labeled a metamorphic rock. In Geology 101, we're taught that the formation of metamorphic rocks involves three forces, heat and water and pressure. And in a similar way, these three forces are at work to change us spiritually. The heat is the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who softens the clay and makes us moldable and burns off the impurities. The water is God's word, which cleanses our thinking And builds up our faith and the pressure is what we're talking about this morning. The pressure that God uses are the trials and the difficulties that force the changes that God wants to make in our lives. And understand, (laughs) God doesn't flinch when it comes to subjecting you and me to hardship. God is not squeamish at all. Realize our eternal God sees the future. And he knows that right now is the only short time frame that will ever exist where you will have the opportunity to experience friction and hardship in your life. See, for all eternity, we've been promised shalom or peace. We have heaven before us. Our destiny is eternal blessing. Right now is your only opportunity to ever be conformed by hostility or pain. And this is why God is not timid to use that pain in our lives. God is not squeamish about this like we might be. God is willing to put us through the fire. He knows it's our only opportunity to ever be shaped and molded by it. And he uses the vice grip of circumstance God won't hesitate to employ a little momentary pain in your life to shape and fashion a permanent change for all eternity. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Spiritually speaking, pleasure tends to lull us to sleep. It's pain that grabs our attention. Reminds me of a poem by Robert Browning Hamilton. I walked a mile with pleasure. Oh, she chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. See, God uses even sorrow in our lives. The cocoon of the emperor moth is funnel-shaped. And when it's time for that moth to leave the cocoon, it rises through its narrow neck. The moth squeezes through until it escapes. Well, biologists tell us that it's the pressure on the moth's body as it compresses through that opening that releases the juices that fill up the vessels in its wings and ultimately cause those wings to fully develop. Once a little boy, he saw an emperor moth sit- struggling to shed its cocoon and to fly to freedom, and so out of pity, he took some scissors and he snipped the threads of the neck of the cocoon to make the exit easier. But without the applied pressure, without the compression, the wings never properly developed, and the moth spent its brief life crawling rather than flying. Friends. When you try to escape life's pressures, when you try to run from the struggles that God has ordained, you never develop properly. You end up crawling spiritually rather than soaring. I love this pithy little jingle. Listen carefully. God puts you in a fix to fix you, not to fix. If you try to fix the fix, God puts you in He's got to put you in another fix to fix the fix he wanted to fix in the first place. You get that? You didn't get that. I'm going to say it again because it's important. Here we go. God puts you in a fix to fix you, not the fix. If you try to fix the fix God puts you in, he's got to put you in another fix to fix the fix he wanted to fix in the first place. In short, God uses trials to fix us. Well, finally, let's place at the end of our string of struggles a big question mark. We know verse 28 is true, but the question is, will we believe it? Will we fully embrace this truth? See, verse 28 assumes that we know it's true. Notice Paul says, and we know. We know all things work together for good. You know, there are some things in life we don't know. Some things we can't know. Some things we should know. But there are a few things that we do know. And this is one of them. Every believer knows that all things work together for good. You see, this is a truth that Christians should realize, even if the book of Romans had never been written. This is a truth that we should be able to discern intuitively. And why? Because every Christian has been to the cross. You wouldn't be a Christian if you hadn't been to the cross. And at Calvary, God set a pattern He took history's greatest tragedy and turned it into its greatest victory. What appeared to be a catastrophe, an ugly upset, a devastating defeat, God worked it for good. Through the death of his only son Jesus, salvation has now come to all men. You could say God specializes in commandeering sad stories and giving them happy endings. Paul reminds you and me, we know this wonderful truth and he's right we do know i know it you know it we just don't always want to admit that we know it do we for rather than rise up in faith and grab hold of the comfort we have in this verse we tend to enjoy a good sulk often we prefer to whine and snivel gripe and complain about our circumstances and the bum rap we've gotten Oh, we can throw a big pity party, can't we? Remember the story of Joseph? His brothers hated him. Joseph was his father's favorite. They wanted to snuff him out, but they ended up selling him to slave traders headed for Egypt. And when his jealous brothers returned home, they lied to their father, Jacob. They told him that their kid brother was dead, that he had been eaten by wild animals. And through a miraculous turn of events, Joseph prospered in Egypt, eventually rising to second in command in Pharaoh's court. What an incredible story it is. So when famine came upon the region, Joseph's guilty brothers had to go to Egypt looking for food. Joseph had rationed the nation's grain, and Egypt was the only country with a surplus. And it was to Joseph that his brothers had to come. And when Joseph finally reveals his identity to his brothers, he sums up his painful ordeal in one of the Bible's most instructive verses. He tells them, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to save many people. You see, in the end, Joseph was able to rejoice in the fact that his trials had resulted in the good of a whole region. It's interesting, though, Joseph's dad, Jacob, he expressed the opposite attitude. Earlier in the story, before Joseph had revealed his identity, he made his brothers return to their dead and ask him if they could bring his youngest son, Benjamin, with them to Egypt. Joseph actually held an older brother, Simeon, hostage. When Jacob was told what was being asked, he cried out, Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin away? all these things are against me. What's Jacob saying here? In essence, he's saying that God doesn't work all things together for good. Jacob is denying Romans 8 verse 28. He's calling God a liar rather than for him in his favor. He's saying that these events that have risen are against him. Is that what you've been saying? Realize, Jacob knew in his heart that God works all things together for good, but at that moment, he didn't want to confess it or agree with that assessment. Jacob, whom the Bible calls a patriarch of our faith, liked belly aching over promise-taking. Understand, when you or I cry, woe is me, we deny great is God. Satan is continuously sending out the invitation. Come unto me, all you who are grieved and peeved, and I'll sympathize with your bitterness. I've heard it said, self-pity always weeps on the devil's shoulder. We need to stop painting ourselves as victims when God has promised to make us victors. Hey, the way you make sense out of nonsensical circumstances is to insert the proper punctuation. Punctuate your problems. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and the outlook changes, dilemmas and difficulties, trials and hardships take on a dramatic new meaning. See, we need to wrap our problems between divine quotation marks, for God himself has said, he has ordained our difficulties. We need to capitalize those two words, all things, for all things, not some things, not most things, all things, God is working. Then we need to use a few commas and dashes to mix it all up and synergize it together, for all things are working together. Got to get that together part in there. And then we need to drop in an exclamation point, because good is the goal, even when it involves pain and difficulty. And then we need to remember that God's top objective is to make us like Jesus, period. And lastly, don't forget the question mark. We know this verse is true, but the question is, are we going to embrace it and live it and praise the Lord for it? Let me ask you again, are you a belly aker or are you a promise taker? Punctuate your problems. According to Romans 8, verse 28, and your problems will no longer be problems. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Sandy Adams. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Sandy's teaching ministry by visiting sandyadams.org.